Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. Uh, love when we get to come together and love being able to sit up here and just hear the church sing. And there's something that God does as we just sing together. So just grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. Uh, 1 John chapter 4, we're going to continue in our Advent series. Uh, Advent literally just means coming. And as we, as we gather together the last couple of weeks, we've looked at what the coming of Jesus means for us as far as the hope that he brings, uh, the peace that he brings to us. And then this morning, we're going to look at the love of God and how Jesus embodies and teaches us about uh, the love of God. And so we're going to see that in 1 John chapter 4. And so turn there with me. As you get there, uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, have been to the Grand Canyon? Anybody been to the Grand Canyon? Man, both services, a decent amount of people. Um, it is an amazing, beautiful, breathtaking place. Uh, I've gotten to go there uh, a handful of times, and each and every time I go, I am just blown away by the beauty that's there. Uh, 2016, my wife and I went before we had our first kid, and, uh, and, and I remember we were, we were in a hurry to get there. Um, you can see that's, that's us there. We made it. The little uh, no kid sparkle in our eyes is still there. Uh, and so we were in a hurry. I remember it, we had to beat the, the sunset. And we said, man, how much of a bummer would it be if we traveled all this way, tried to get to the Grand Canyon, and then it's just dark and we don't get to see anything. And so we're, we're hustling to get there. Finally, we get there as the sun is setting. And I remember, and you can kind of see where the, the sun is up there, but the colors that as the sun sets and you just look over here and the colors that burst forth and then the, the sun continues to set and you look over at this part of it and it's overwhelming and beautiful. And there's just beauty everywhere when you're there. It's amazing. And so if you've never been, you got to go. But I, I promise you this, that if I came to you and said, hey, let's go to the Grand Canyon and let's not only go once, but, but what if we went back next week and, and maybe the week after that we'll go a couple times and, and you start this kind of regular habit of going to the Grand Canyon and, and it would be cool for a while, but eventually there would come a day where you stand in front of that thing and go, man, it just looks like a hole in the ground. It's still cool. It's a big hole. But it just looks like a hole in the ground. There's something about us as human beings that the longer we're around something beautiful, if we're not careful, we can just kind of fall into a callousness about it. Just go, huh? Yeah, it's just a hole in the ground. And if that's what you thought the first time you saw the Grand Canyon, you got issues, man. I fear that as we talk about the love of God this morning, that there's some of us in the room that just start to go, yeah, yeah, the love of God, I, I got that. I've been in church for a while. I know about the love of God. I'm familiar with it. And I can just kind of mentally check out. Don't check out this morning. Because here we are together, standing, as it were, at the grand canyon of God's love, about to gaze upon the beauty of God's love together. And I believe God wants to do a fresh work in our hearts as we just gaze upon his beauty this morning. Nothing that I'm going to say is probably going to be new information for, for a lot of us in the room. But I pray that God by his spirit would infuse life and wonder and awe into it. My prayer all week has been this, and we just finished a series in Ephesians, but I've, I've been praying this for us as we've gathered. Ephesians 3 just says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
This is what I want for us this morning, just to be able to comprehend a little bit more about the love of God. To go, I I saw something new and fresh in God's love. I got to see a little bit more of how deep it is and how wide it is and how long it is and how high it is. The love of God is an amazing, beautiful thing. And so this morning, we're going to look at four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. And I pray that God grips us by his spirit with the beauty of his love. And so I want to pray for us. I want to ask the Lord for that. And then we're going to get after it together. And so let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for this time we get to gather. We thank you for your word and how... God, you are continuing to just draw us deeper and deeper into the depths of your love. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. For each of us that we could walk away just going, man, I have a new sense of awe and and worship at the love of God and how you've loved us, how you've pursued us. And so, Lord, we don't want to be callous to it. We don't want to be numb to it. And so, Holy Spirit, would you soften our hearts? Would you give us ears to hear from your word and to be amazed again at the love you have shown us? And so we need you for it. We ask you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so 1 John chapter 4, I want to read through this whole text together, and then we're just going to walk back through it and see about these four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. So 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that, that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. Number one is this, the love of God dwells with us. I told you, nothing new this morning. You're not sitting here going, man, I've never thought about that. You're like, isn't that what this whole Christmas thing is about? Yes, and let's be amazed by it again. The love of God dwells with us. 1 John 4 verse 9 says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That word manifest just means to uh, make visible, to make known, to reveal. That God has revealed his love and he's done so among us. Uh, Not just revealed it to us. Not just revealed it for us. But when God decided, hey, I want to show my people what my love looks like. He did so among us. With us us. See, I think we can often think of God as this supernatural being who's just kind of far off. He's distant. This deistic God who just kind of wound up the world, let it go, run its course, and then is just kind of hands off sitting in the background. That could not be further from the truth. He's near. So near that in order to reveal his love, he did so among us and he did so by sending his son, his only son, into the world so that we might live through him. When God wanted to show us his love, he did so up close. Think about how amazing that is. God could have just told us he loved us. God could have just sent someone to say, hey, 
I'm here from God and I just want to let you know that, that God loves you. But instead, Jesus came with flesh on. God came with flesh on to show us up close what his love looks like. We all know the story. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. But don't miss the beauty and the wonder of the reality that the love of God dwells with us. I love Bob Coughlin, who's a, uh, a songwriter. He says it this way. He says, even though few noticed his birth, Jesus didn't appear without warning. He just wasn't the king we expected. He entered our world through a virgin whose very body was fashioned by the baby she was about to deliver. What did it mean for God to come to us? How far did he have to go? If you've ever traveled to a foreign country, you know what it's like to encounter a new language, new landscapes, new custom, new money, and a new culture. You feel out of place. What must God's son have felt like? The infinite became an infant. The all-knowing one became a babbling baby. As one song puts it, the author of the story climbed inside the page. God came to us because we never would have come to him. We never could have come to him, but God didn't just come to us. He became one of us. Jesus was not only Emmanuel, God with us. He was us. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. The infinite became an infant. Jesus, who left everything of heaven to come and dwell with us. He now shows us with flesh on what love looks like. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The love of God dwells with us. And this is amazing. And part of what makes the dwelling of Jesus with us so amazing is that he didn't require us to clean ourselves up first. To say, hey, I would love to come and dwell with you, but, but I'm not going to ask you to get your act together. Hey, I would love to come and dwell with you, but, but could you maybe just stop doing these things, start doing these things? Could you become a little bit better? Could you become a little bit nicer? Could you? He comes to meet us right where we are. In the midst of the mess, in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain. Jesus steps down into the world and he takes the initiative toward us. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The second is this. We said the first, the love of God dwells with us. The second is the love of God is initiative-taking. The love of God is initiative-taking. First John chapter 4, verse 10. It says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. First John 4, 10 makes it very clear that God is the one who takes the initiative towards us. What did we do in this equation? Nothing. What did God do? Everything. The love of God is not transactional. It's not a, hey, you do these things. You hold up your end of the bargain and then I'll come and, and be with you. Hey, clean this up, tidy this up, and then I'll come and dwell with you. He meets us right where we are. He takes the first step toward us. And there's so many examples of this throughout Scripture. Well, I just want to look at two. 
two examples of this initiative-taking love that God has for us. And the first is Adam and Eve. All the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the creation story. God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve, gives them this beautiful, perfect garden to live within. And then just says, oh, hey, by the way, just don't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve eat from that tree. And then we see what God does. Genesis 3. And I'll read it here. It says, They, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Which This is our typical response. We feel like, ah, I got to hide myself from the Lord. I got to hide myself from others. And and I'll really start to show my true self once I kind of get my life back together a little bit. Once I figure out this fear, this, this doubt, this pain that I'm walking through. They try to hide, but God pursues them. I love this. Genesis 3, it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? God pursued them. He knew exactly what they had just done. He doesn't say, Hey, do these couple things, and then you can come to me. God goes after them, right where they are. Another beautiful example of this, uh, Zacchaeus from the New Testament. You probably know the song. Zacchaeus was a wee... Yeah, that Zacchaeus. Luke chapter 19. Jesus enters Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but was not able because of the crowd, since he was a short man. And so running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore, sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down. Today, it's necessary for me to stay at your house. So Zacchaeus quickly got down the tree and, and he welcomed Jesus joyfully. And all who saw it began to complain, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. I love a couple things about this story. First, I love that Luke could have just stopped in the story when he says, Zacchaeus, he was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able to because of the crowd. And we would all have been like, yeah, I mean, you're with a crowd of people. You can't see Jesus. But I love that he throws in because he was a short man. And I imagine like uh, Zacchaeus and, and Luke, maybe they were friends. And, you know, the letter of Luke starts circulating and Zacchaeus picks it up. He's like, oh, sweet. I got to meet Jesus. Let's see what this is about. He reads it. And he comes to his name. And he's like, oh, dude. He reads three verses. in. he's like, what the heck, Luke? You didn't have to put that in there, dude. He was a short man. Secondly, though, don't miss how Jesus takes the initiative toward Zacchaeus. He says, it's necessary for me to stay at your house. Why? Jesus is taking the first step toward Zacchaeus just as he is, and he is a tax collector, and tax collectors are the worst. They're the worst. They lie. They cheat. They will do whatever it takes to get money from you, even if it costs you everything. They have no regard for human life. They were hated back in that day. And Jesus says, I'm coming to your house right now. Not I'm coming to the future version of you's house. I'm coming to your house right now, tax collector and all. And don't miss the offensiveness of this. The people around him, they say to Jesus, hey, what, he's gone to stay with a sinful man. What's he doing? It was shocking to them that Jesus would go and hang out with a tax collector. But the love of God is initiative taking and not waiting for us to get our lives together. 
but God takes the initiative toward us just as we are. So wherever you are this morning, God is taking the initiative towards you. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. He's he's not waiting for you to get better. So many of us, we think and believe, even though we might not say it out loud, we we, we have this thing in the back of our heads that said, I got to get my life cleaned up before I approach God, before I come to God. And I would tell you that's a lie straight from hell. You come to God just as you are. And he's pursuing you right now. If you've been following him for five weeks, five months, five years, or 50 years, God is pursuing you right where you are. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The love of God dwells with us, and the love of God is initiative-taking. Now, many of us know that God has taken the initiative and that he invites me into relationship with him just as I am. We, we know that in our heads, but we still have this question that we, we ask of, how can I really be sure that God loves me? How can I really know that, that even though I've done that, this thing or that thing or, or I think about that one night or the, the one season or that one relationship or that thing that was done to me that's caused me to believe all sorts of lies about God and myself, how can I really know that God loves me? The answer to that is seen in the next point. It's seen as the passage continues on in verse 10. And we're going to say it this way. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The third is the love of God is costly and free. The love of God is costly and free. And you might hear that and go, how does that help me know that God has loved me? We're going to unpack that here. But we're going to see in this text that the love of God is costly and free. 1 John 4 verse 10 It says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. He took the initiative towards us. He sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. How how can I really know deep down in my soul that God loves me? Propitiation is the answer to that question. This is one of the most amazing, beautiful realities in all of scripture. And I want to make sure we don't miss it today. And so what is it? What, what does propitiation mean? If, if you were here about two years ago, we actually uh, studied through the book of 1 John together and uh, Pastor Brock defined this really clearly for us. And so I'm going to use a lot of his language this morning. But propitiation just means this. The full wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus for my sin. Propitiation means the full wrath of the Father was poured out on Jesus for my sin. Uh, a pastor and author, Kevin DeYoung, says it this way, Propitiation is understood as springing from the love of God. Among the heathen, propitiation was thought of as an activity whereby the worshiper was able to provide that which would induce a change of mind in their God. In plain language, he or she bribed their God to be favorable to them. But in both the Old and the New Testament, the thought is plain that the gift which secures the propitiation is from God himself. He provides the way whereby men and women may come to him. Thus, the use of the concept of propitiation witnesses to two great realities. The one, the reality and seriousness of the divine reaction against sin. And the other, the reality and greatness of the divine love which provided the gift which should avert the wrath from us. 
Because of this gift, our sins can be removed, our debts can be paid, our relationships stored, and our legal status irrevocably altered. Jesus Christ, our righteous advocate, the one who turns away the wrath of God that was justly against us. And he does so wonderfully and freely, not by pleading our innocence, but by presenting his bloody work on our behalf. So that in him, we who were deserving of nothing but judgment might become the very righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, there is not an ounce of wrath left for those of us who are in Christ, who've surrendered our life to Jesus. And I want to picture it for us this way this morning. Because of the fact that we've rebelled against God, many of us know that the wages of sin is death. We deserve death. We deserve eternal punishment and wrath from God. And God would be completely just to pour out his wrath on us. But instead of us, Jesus steps in and says, Father, I will take the wrath instead of them. And so the wrath of God that deserved to be poured out on you and I is instead poured out on Jesus. Every last drop of God's wrath is absorbed by Jesus on the cross. So that you and I this morning, those of us in Christ, can sit here and go, there is not a drop of wrath left for me. Not an ounce of God's wrath left for me. Yeah, but what about what I did this week? Not an ounce. Yeah, but what about that past season? What about, not an ounce left. How can I really know that God loves me? Because Jesus was our propitiation. And guess what? For him to be the propitiation for us cost him everything. It cost him everything to absorb the wrath of God on our behalf. His life, his blood shed, his body beaten, his flesh torn apart. It cost him everything. And now for us to receive God's grace and forgiveness and life now and life eternal, it cost us nothing. God's love cost him everything, but it is freely given to us. We put our trust and faith in Jesus, the propitiation for our sin, who absorbed every ounce of wrath for us. And we are freely given the gift of life and relationship with God. How can I know God loves me? Because his love is costly. It cost him everything, and yet it's free, freely given to us, so that there's not an ounce of wrath left. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The love of God dwells with us. It's personal. It's near. The love of God takes the initiative and continues to take the initiative towards you and I. The love of God is costly and free. And when we experience this kind of love, the kind of love that God has poured out on us, we are changed and transformed by this love. It cannot be contained within us. The fourth thing we're going to see in our text this morning is that, that the love of God cannot be contained within us. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The fourth is the love of God cannot be contained within us. 
The love of God cannot be contained within us. First uh, John 4, pick it up with me in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Our love towards one another reflects the divine love already showered upon us. But, but not only that, we love one another because it's now who we are in Christ. We are born of God and people born of God love the way God has loved us. I love how John Piper says it. He says, so, so when, when John in the book of 1 John says we ought to love each other, he means ought the way fish ought to swim in water and birds ought to fly in the air and living creatures ought to breathe and peaches ought to be sweet and lemons ought to be sour and hyenas ought to laugh and born again people ought to love. It's who we are. This is not mere imitation. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We are realizing who we are when we love. God's seed is in us. God's spirit is in us. God's nature is in us. God's love is being perfected in us. This is who we are. And so this is not an ought heavy-handed. This is an ought just as fish ought to swim in water. As birds ought to fly in the air. It's who they are. This is who we are. God has so changed and transformed us from the inside out that now his love cannot be contained within us. And as we love one another, as we pursue each other in love, our love for each other ought to have this God shape to it. Our love ought to reflect the kind of love that God has shown us. And so three things in light of what we just talked about, three characteristics of God-shaped love among us. God-shaped love among us, number one, looks like this. We love up close. We love up close. God-shaped love amongst us, we love up close. Just like Jesus came to dwell with us, his love was revealed among us. We are to love one another up close, not just from afar, not just on Facebook, not just through a text. We love up close. Shoulder to shoulder, arm around each other, crying together, praying together, seeking the Lord together. We love up close. I, I love uh, this quote from C.S. Lewis, and I've used this before, but man, it's so good. He it says, it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women. I didn't hear enough mm's, so I'm going to read that one more time. <laughs> it's easier to be enthusiastic about humanity with a capital H than it is to love individual men and women, especially those who are uninteresting, exasperating, depraved, or otherwise unattractive. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Loving everybody in general may be an excuse for us for loving nobody in particular. Hey, do you love people? Yeah, 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 yeah. When's the last time you actually in a very specific way, sought out to love someone. I love people though. I, I do. I love people. Yeah, but how? Specifically and in a very particular way. When is the last time you've decided to love up close? Our love for each other ought to have this God shape to it. 
and the love of God in our midst is going to love each other up close. Second is this. We take the initiative towards those around us. God-shaped love amongst us. We love up close and we take the initiative towards those around us. What if we became a place where we were constantly taking the first step towards one another? Where we pursued those around us in love? Within the church and outside of the walls? What if when the Spirit actually put someone on your heart to go talk to, you didn't just say, ah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. But you went and pursued them. You went and talked to them. You went and sought them out and engaged with them and had a conversation with them to take the initiative towards the people in your life. We don't get in such a hurry that we miss those opportunities. Maybe you're thinking of that person who's hurt you or disappointed you or sinned against you and you're sitting here waiting for them and saying, I'll take the initiative once they take the step towards me. What if God is calling you to take the initiative today towards them? Because what if God waited for us to take a step towards him? That's not the kind of love God has shown us. He takes the first step. Now we ought to take the first step towards one another. And not just one another within these walls, but outside of these walls. We don't wait for our neighbors to just magically invite us over. Go love on your neighbors. Take the initiative. Reach out. Make it happen. We don't just wait for that coworker to magically bring up Jesus. Isn't that how we all, we all want that story? Man, I was praying for that person that I work next to, and all of a sudden they were just like, hey, so Jesus, huh? We're like, it was amazing. I, I hate to break it to you, but that story rarely ever happens. We need to be the one to take the initiative, to reach out, to begin to love on the people around us who don't know Jesus. Let's not wait on them to just magically ask about it. We want to pursue them, take the initiative towards them. Let us be a people here at Redeemer who are known by how we take steps towards those around us. God-shaped love amongst us. We love up close. We take the initiative towards those around us. And, and thirdly, we meet the needs of others, even at great cost to ourselves. God has so loved us, we can't contain his love within us. We're going to love up close. We're going to take the initiative. And then we meet the needs of others, even at great cost to ourselves. And this is just, uh, John Piper worded it this way, and I couldn't have worded it any better. Remember, God's love is costly and free. And what if our love for each other starts to take on a God shape to it? The kind of love that costs the giver of the love everything, but the receiver of the love is freely given blessings and gifts. 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we have come to know love, that he laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John Piper says, Christ loved us by laying down his life for us. When we were born again, this love became our love. There is in the born again person a deep impulse to die to self so that others might live. The presence of Christ in the born again person is the presence of a servant's heart, a sacrificial spirit, a readiness to go down that others might go up. Love does not want to prosper at the expense of others. Love wants others to prosper. And if it costs us our life, that's okay. Jesus will take care of us. 
Man, more of that in our church. More of that in my life. More of that in your life. That I will do whatever it takes to meet the needs of others, even if it costs me greatly. Because that's the kind of love that God has shown us. And now we can't help but love in that same way. God-shaped love in our midst. We love up close. We take the initiative towards others. And we meet the needs of others, even at great cost to ourselves. And we do this because that's the kind of love God has shown us, and we cannot contain it within us. Four beautiful, awe-inspiring, worship-inducing, life-transforming truths about God's love. The love of God dwells with us. The love of God is initiative-taking. The love of God is costly and free. And the love of God cannot be contained within us. And so as we finish our time together this morning, I want to finish how we began We think about the Grand Canyon, and here we stand at the edge of of the Grand Canyon of God's love, as it were. And again, the tendency is for us to just want to go, yeah, yeah, the love of God, it's, it's cool. It's just a hole in the ground. Don't miss the beauty. The beautiful, awe inspiring, worship inducing, life transforming truths about God's love. Now, the hard part is, as we finish, this isn't something where you can just say, like, okay, I'm going to just try really hard to to have more awe of God's love. This is something that God has to give to us through his spirit. And so, as we wrap up our time together this morning, we're just going to spend some time praying. And we're going to spend some time asking God that he would, again, give us a fresh sense of wonder and awe at his love for us. We're going to finish by spending some time praying through Ephesians 3. We read this when we started. But this is what we pray I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is what I want for myself. This is what I want for us as a church. And it's so interesting that Paul, as he prayed this for the church in Ephesus, could have prayed anything. I pray that you would live on mission. I pray that you would share the gospel. I pray that you would uh, live uh, lives of, of holiness. And he touches on some of those things. But the heart of his prayer is what? To know the love of Christ. Because when we are overwhelmed and transformed by the love of Christ, it changes everything. And so as we wrap up our time this morning, let's just ask God for that. Let's ask God for a fresh sense of awe and wonder and worship at the love that he has so generously poured out on us. And so as we close, just between you and the Lord, we're going to spend a few minutes. And by few minutes, I don't mean 10 seconds. So I'm serious. A few minutes. And we're just going to pursue the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him. God, help me see your love. Help me be amazed by your love. I'll be honest, a couple weeks ago when Brock said, hey, we're doing an Advent series, Uh, can you preach? And I said, sure, I think December 12th will work. And he said, it's on love. And you know what my first response in my heart was? Oh, man. What about hope or, or joy? I can be the joy guy. That sounds awesome. But love is just kind of one of those things that, if I'm honest, for me, it's like I've been around church long enough that just the love of God can sometimes lose the wonder in my heart. And so let's ask the Lord for it back. So spend the next few minutes, let's seek the Lord together, and then I'll close us and we'll sing.
And so Lord, we ask that you would give us strength to be able to comprehend what is the height and the width and the depth and the breadth of your love. Lord, we want to know it more. We don't want to just be easily satisfied with the depth of knowledge we have of your love today. God, we want more. And so would you grow the sense of awe and wonder in our hearts at your love? God, would your love so overwhelm us that it transforms not just the, the way that we love those closest to us, but it transforms the way that we love the world around us, believer or not, God. We want to be people marked by love. And so overwhelm us, Lord, with awe and wonder at your amazing love for us. We love you, God. We thank you and we pray it all in Jesus' name.